Welcome back to the latest episode of Let's Talk About It. On today's show, we are discussing the battles we have with ego and how we can combat that. With that being said, let's talk about it. All right, everyone, welcome back. Austin, how have you been? It's been a great week. Tons of things got done this week, and I've been in the world of anesthesia, which is a fun little experiment. But yeah, having a great week. How are you? Pretty good, you know. Uh, got some good news with some stuff going on in the future and career-wise, so that's pretty exciting. Let's hope that everything falls into place as it should. Uh, you were just in New York. How was that? Oh, New York was incredible. Yeah, my... For my 30th birthday, my family surprised me, planned this whole thing behind my back, a family trip to New York. I've never been before, and we were there oof, maybe 48 hours of dedicated New York time, and we saw, I don't, we didn't see everything, but we almost did, and it was it's an incredible city. I had a fantastic time. What was your favorite part? Oof, wow. How do you pick a favorite? I mean, I tried New York bagels. I tried New York pizza. I walked around Central Park. I saw two Broadway shows. I got to see and just be in the thick of it. That was probably it. Like, I never understood why people would live in a place like that. But I could understand, you know, looking at the different, the roads, the flow of people, the metro, being able to work your way around and be just part of the energy that's in that city. I could see how somebody might like that. I know it's not what I would want to be there permanently, but I, I, I get it a little bit more now. Yeah, I haven't made a, a vacation or a trip out there yet. And every time I'm like, eh, it's just not the life I'd want to live. But for sure, it's someplace I'm sure you have to see, especially with the 9-11 Memorial, Statue of Liberty, Empire State Building, Central Park. There's a lot of stuff you probably got to see there. So, Oh, it's a everybody should go at least once. Well, I like that. And I'll maybe plan that in the future. But while we're here today, what we're going to talk about is ego. And we're going to talk about Ryan Holiday's book called Ego is the Enemy. We've touched on, or I've touched on his other book, the first book in the series, The Obstacle is the Way. And I always said the obstacle was kind of how I lived my life. And the ego kind of brought things to life in my life that I was possibly doing or would think. And then his third book would kind of open my eyes to things that I have to do in the future or, or I should start implementing in my life. But I feel like with what's going on in the world with social media and, and instant gratification, ego is probably at its all-time high. And I'm glad that we're going to talk about this. I was just curious on any quick thoughts before we dive into it from you. I think this is a book that if you maybe you feel super confident and like you're just crushing it, you definitely should read this book. And even if you don't feel like that, you also should read this book. It was so chock full of history and historical citations about, you know, to prove the concepts that he's talking about. And so I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and I learned quite a bit. I'm excited to talk more about it. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that we decided to do this topic. I read the book before and then we kind of jammed through it audiobook and he does a good job narrating it as well. But like you said, he's not just like, here's what you do. He talks about like historical figures and the Stoics and how to live a life away from ego. And um I really enjoyed this book. So I just wanna let's get started, man. Let's let's talk about a topic that you want to talk about or something that you felt the book kind of led you to or a conclusion that you found from the book. I think the biggest Thing that I took away that was it's not something that I feel it's something I feel I've learned I didn't need this kind of kick in the pants necessarily but it was kind of validation for something I've long suspected and that I have just observed in the world around me he had a line in there talking about 
your sense of entitlement, maybe wherever you're at in the workplace, in your family, in a new environment or a new social situation. He had a line in there that said, you are the least deserving of respect in the room until you prove otherwise. And I just, you know, I, I think of how arrogant somebody must be. And maybe I've done, no, full disclosure, I've definitely done this. I've walked into spaces where I have expected, okay, I earn, or no, I deserve respect. I deserve people to recognize me. I deserve all of this when I walk into a space. And I've been so wrong and so mistaken. And I just, I, I loved that line. And it helps me to, to humble myself in any new environment and really any environment. I, you know, I'm really probably not as great as I, I think I am or, you know, as arrogant, the arrogant part of that confidence, I think is a different thing, but mm -hmm. I really need to check myself. I think when I enter any situation. And I think that's great for the future that we're going to as, as doctors, you know, we, <laughs> we go to school for 15 years. Uh, if you do med school, undergrad, and then your your postgraduate training, and you kind of leave there, and you you think you're better than everyone else in a sense because you're so smart and you've done a lot of training. And there's a, there's a possibility of that, and we have to keep that 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 thought in our brain that we're we're not entitled to everything. Every time we walk into a room with a patient, because they're the ones that need the most care. They're the ones that need our full undivided attention. We can't have an ego go in there and be like, hey, you're going to do what I say because I'm the doctor and I went to 15 years of school. So I love that you brought that up. And I felt the same way reading that that line and then listening to it the other day. And it's just, you have to check yourself. And I think you have to have a, a sense of base, like a, a grounding of who you are because it's easy to stray away from, away from just being kind and, and, and courteous and being like, yeah, I went to school for 15 years or yeah, I have this much money or yeah, I have talking about today, I have a million followers on social media. You have to remind yourself you're not better than anyone else. So I love that you brought that up. Well, I, you know, I think that's especially pertinent to us who are doing a, pursuing a doctoral degree and how much of the catastrophe of COVID-19 and all that could have been different if people in academia, people in the medical field, experts, right, the quote-unquote experts, when people brought them things, they weren't just dismissive. They're, they were inviting and saying, okay, let me look into that. And then with the way I've learned about science, the way I've learned to look at data, why don't I look at this and then I can tell you what I think? As Instead of just dismissing people, telling them they're stupid, like the, the Matilda complex, the I'm big, you're small, I'm smart, you're dumb, I'm right, you're wrong. If you get into that mode, I mean, you're just going to be, no one's going to want to be around you. And as far as your career goes, if us who have a career with people, you know, constantly having interpersonal interactions, you're not going to be very successful. And I actually was speaking to an attending and he told me that, that, that his career path, he got to the place that he was practicing and in his department or his specialty within a department, he had his contract drawn up and he started working the department chair called okay perfect go and he had very little resources compared to the other people in his field as far as the help staff that he had the allotment of time that he had for doing clinical work versus research he had very few resources and he was expected to produce the same amount of work and to bring in the same amount of money as his colleagues and so rather than you know when he signed this agreement for this contract I think it was a rude awakening to be like, oh no, I what you know, kind of what have I done? And rather than making a stink or rather than, you know, going to the internet to complain, this place is so terrible, he put in the work and he dug in and he worked 
his butt off and he eventually was making as much if not bringing in more money to the department than all of his peers with those limited resources and different contract and then he went to his his boss and he said look at what i've done on few resources and different things now i would like to excuse me now i would like to invite or now i would like to ask that i could have some help and some more resources and he talked with his peers too and his colleagues about how to do that and I asked him, I asked him, do you think that you would have been as successful in getting a renegotiated contract or more resources without having first put in the work and shown, demonstrated what you can do? And he said, absolutely not. No, in, in no world would I go into my boss and say, you should take a bet on what I possibly can do. Or here's what, you know, I, I'm promising you I could do. No, I had to show the results first and then I could kind of negotiate from there. Right. And it's, you can have this big contract, you can have this degree, you can have, again, we're bringing up today's day and age, social media, you can have X amount of followers. But again, you're not entitled to anything. And I like that you, again, I'm bringing up, you're not the most impressive person in the room. And with that, I want to talk about a topic he talked about. It was always be a student, always be learning, always be a learner. And he talks about the, the plus minus and equal rule. And we've kind of talked about this. But you always want to find someone who's better than you in a sense, so that you can learn from them. You're always going to be a student. And then you can learn from their experiences, all the stuff that they've done to kind of meet their level. You can kind of rise to their level. Secondly, the minus, you want to find someone that is, I don't want to say less, but is not as advanced as you. So when they're not as advanced with you, you still have to be a student to make sure you know everything that you're teaching this individual so that they can rise to your level. And then the equal, you want to find someone who's as equally advanced at the skill level you are so that you can kind of challenge each other and not in a bad challenge, but in a good competition where you continuously want to grow, where you're continuously wanting to learn so that you will always, always advance in whatever field you're doing or whatever job or career or, or skill set you're trying to learn. And I thought that was so, so good and so impressive and, and so empowering to hear because you get to a point, again, I'm talking about you go to school for so long, you get to a point like, I know everything. I've done all this. And it's easy to say that. But when you accept that, that's kind of when you need to hang up whatever you're doing because that that ego, that entitlement, you sitting on top of that hill is gonna it's gonna lead you to rolling back down that hill and kind of having a, a kick in the face. Absolutely, I, I totally agree, and especially I think that not enough people pursue opportunities to share and to teach the material to to help them solidify it, to ground it, because that's how you're really going to solidify something is when you now have to conceptualize it and help somebody else learn it. I, when I was just a funny anecdote, when I was early in my first year of medical school, I had two bobbleheads that I would set up and I would teach material to all alone in this basement where I lived, just because I wanted to make sure that I could teach material to try and help me study it. It was, it was uh, strange, but anyway, yes, <laughs> that's, that's definitely, you need to be able to teach the concept you need to be able to compete with those around you equal at your level because competition will add will drive you to learn to grow to progress and then also finding mentors who are above you who know more that you can ask for help guidance and just general instruction as well yeah it's uh it's hard you know because you want to you want to be the best and i kind of talked about this on one of my episodes better versus best you want to be the best but you don't want to be better than anyone else you want to be the best version of yourself because when you're better than everyone else, again, you're trying to put yourself on that pedestal or up on that hill. And he talks about it in the book. He's like, when you're at the top, when you're winning, when you're that successful, that margin of error 
is very, very small. And when you have any ounce of ego at that time frame, you're easily going to stray from that line and you're going to fall very hard on your face. Well, the when you think of the best and when I think ego wants to make the best you, right? I think that's what you just said, but I am the best standard for everybody else. Right. But when the standard is outside of yourself, when it's this goal, when it's this greatest most accomplished good that you that anybody can be now you're not competing with anybody else to get there all of you are progressing towards this best version that you can be as a person so you're it's not a zero-sum game right you will bring people along with you towards this goal of of the best you can be or ego will just rob you with that from that or rob that from you and it seems like from what you and i are saying and maybe it was directly said i don't know if it was at the very least implied Ego will cut you off from literally everyone else around you, mentors, peers, and those that you lead, those you have stewardship over, you will be cut off from everyone else and you will not go anywhere. Yeah, it's a, it's a slippery slope. You know, you want to, you want to pat yourself on the back. And I kind of talk about this before with you. And he, he kind of touched on this in the book with a certain thing, like always be a student, but how many people have gone before you? How many people have done it before you in our sense? You know, it, it's very hard to match into a specialty, right? But how many people have done that? And once you get there, pat yourself on the back, but don't don't rest on those laurels. Be ready to keep learning and keep progressing. Right. Take the little victories, not as the end point, but as kind of a springboard to keep going. That's something you've definitely helped me to understand. Even in our, let's see, our first year of medical school, our neuroscience course, hardest course of the year by far. And when it finished, I think some of our classmates, well, a lot of our classmates got an Airbnb, had this huge blowout party. And there's, there's that mentality of, oh, we did it like eat, drink, right. be married, like we've done this. But, but like you said, how many other people have passed that course, have finished their first year, have graduated medical school? Have, and, you know, you don't want to rob yourself of what you've been done, you know, be proud of your accomplishments. But when you start stopping the, your world around you, your progress, your routine, we talked a lot about routine on the last episode, for tiny things, I mean, you're just, you are putting more obstacles in your path. And right. that is what's driving that. Right. And it kind of, it's kind of like falling in love with what success looks like. You're falling in love with what success looks like. And he talks about this in the book. You're so happy with that image. And again, I, I keep bringing it back to social media and and Instagram and TikTok and stuff, just because it's so easy to post your highlight reel. Everyone's obsessed with a freaking highlight reel now. You're showing all the good parts and all the success. And hey, you know, we did this, we completed this. Pat me on the back, you know, make boost up my ego. But in reality, that's you're doing something that everyone has done before you who's gone to med school. Everyone's completed that section, or everyone's done neuro. Everyone's gone through MSK or gone through all the rotations and done all the hard stuff. Yes, celebrate that. Pat yourself on the back. But why do you got to inflate that on social media for that highlight reel? Well, let me ask you this, because this is something I've thought about. Is there, is there such thing as a good social media post? And that's kind of hard because, you know, we are doing, we're Oof. doing this podcast, right? We're hoping that we can post and, and bring um, information to people so that they can be successful. And that's why, you know, we're recording these videos so that I can post reels so that people can be successful. We're not looking for... I think it comes into your intentions. It's like you're not looking for that pat on the back. Me, I'm really not. I'm looking to promote 
information for people. I'm trying to create and not consume. And I'm not trying to consume everyone's likes and everyone's views. And sure, you, you look at the views and you look at how many people have watched it and shared it because you're kind of proud of that. Again, you, that's that ego, right? You're kind of proud of that. But if your main intent is to create for people to be successful, I don't think that's a bad post. I think that's great. I think there are, I don't want to you know, disparage anybody. I think there are genuinely people who just want to share exciting things that happen in their lives. True. And I think that for the highlight reel, there are those people who let ego take over in the complete opposite direction, right? This is me not being okay. And they're breaking down on camera. Well, I mean, they press the record button and then they break down, but yeah. you know, showing how hard life is and, and stuff. And I think some people, their ego carries them that direction because they are seeking validation. They're seeking people to tell them, no, it's okay. You're great. You're strong. You can do it. You know, I'm sitting here like, this seems like an inside thought thing that right. you just out to the world. But and I know some people probably genuinely just want to show life isn't glamorous. I don't think you need to post to show that. But right. no, I, I think that like you were saying, I agree that if your intent is to genuinely uplift and help people teach, share, bring people along with you somewhere good. I think that's a great thing. I think people share things that are important to them. And they want to share it as well. And then I think some people just generally want to share great things that happen in their lives. They got into medical school. They got mm -hmm. in, they got married. But people take those things sometimes very, very far. And I think the, I was listening to a podcast this week, the most highly marked or sought after job for, for Gen Zers coming out of high school, the most popular answer for what do you want to do for your career was be an influencer. <laughs> yeah. And my thing is, my thing with that is, if social media went away, if technology went away, what skills do you bring to the table? What skills do you bring to the table for society and your friends and your family and your, your wife, or your husband and your kids? What is an influencer going to do for you? Sure, you're creative and sure, you're, you're kind of, you find ways to do things, but how is that, that skill set going to help you? And that's kind of my issue when I hear that. And again, I just, I keep bringing it to social media. It's just, I think that's a problem with a lot of people today. And I kind of talked on this in another episode of my podcast, but the generation that just grew up with social media, all they know is instant gratification. So their ego is going to be so inflated. They get all these likes, they get all these validations again. And there are people who are generally upset and post like sad videos and sad posts. But again, you're doing that to get that validation, that ego boost of, Ooh, this is what sadness looks like. Ooh, this is what success looks like. Give me that, give me that oh, it's okay. Or yeah, you're so great. You've done so much just to stroke that ego. And I'm afraid for generations that just have social media because that's all they know. Yeah, I I think we already see the the younger patients that we've interacted with. And I'm sure you have two daughters. I plan to have a family as well. When we start seeing other people's kids and how they interact with ours, it'll be I'm sure we'll see some stark contrasts in parenting styles we, I mean, we already do with our classmates yeah. with those of our generation with people just below us or just above us as far as age goes but we already see those disparities of entitlement and mm -hmm. people who entered our school for example and let's say there was a policy they didn't like or there was a maybe they got a bad grade a course wasn't structured the way they liked the the immediate impulse it seemed or a thought process of some of these people was well the school is wrong and these things need to change because I'm not being successful. Right. I can't be successful if the school changes around me. And you know, I was taught to think kind of the opposite as, oh, um, I need to make some changes if I'm going to be successful here. And it's right. not to say that sometimes there aren't programs can be updated and things, but if you go through 
Or if you go into situations and you're working with colleagues, maybe superiors, and something doesn't go wrong, and it's the institution's fault always, or it's always out of your hands, one, people aren't going to want to be around you and let alone work with you and help you out of whatever struggle you're in. But two, you're just, man, how are you going to stay any place for a long time? Right. And I kind of, I kind of root that to the, the participation trophies, right? You, again, people are like, oh, it's just a trophy. But in reality, you're giving someone something, you're rewarding someone for something that they did not do, right? So when they get to a harder position in their life, well, I'm entitled, I should have this. I made it to med school. I should, I should get uh, good grades and be successful. Yeah, you should, but you need to put the work in, right? Not everything got you there just to get you there. You got to put in the work and he talks about it, work, work, work. And do the things. Don't just talk about it. Because when you talk about it, again, you're just you're inflating your ego. You're just being busy and talking about it and saying I've done this and I've done this. But in reality, what what did, what did you produce to be successful? Nothing, probably. Yeah, and I, I this goes back to what I mentioned before. But so grateful for the upbringing I had and for my parents. I played a younger kind of kids league of basketball, and my dad coached one of those. He coached a lot of us through all of our sports. And one of the years he was coaching me, it was like my, when I was eight years old, I had a team, we finished our season, we're going to have like a team pizza party. And the team mom asks my dad, okay, so I'm going to get trophies for everybody. Where should I go? And my dad said, why? Mm -hmm. There wasn't a tournament that we were in. These kids lost half the games this season. Get, get them all basketballs instead. Get them basketballs that they can use to practice for next season. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, a reward. You did something good. Here's a basketball you didn't have to right. pay for. But this is now you can take this thing to make yourself better. Like you're not a winner just because you participated. Right. And I think uh, I'm probably going to butt heads with a lot of parents in the future because my kids are not going to get uh, participation trophies. And um, it is what it is. It's just I'm going to raise my kids my way and you can raise your kids your way. But they shouldn't get rewarded for something that they didn't do. I like that your dad said, hey, here's a basketball. You can use this to in increase your skill for next year. Um, and that's a great, I think that's a great approach to doing things with with kids who need something or need some form of validation, right? They're kids. You want to you wanna make them feel good. They've done, they did a whole season. They didn't quit on the season. They tried their best. Here's a ball. Let's do, do the, let's do the work to get better next year. Right. We've been, we've been talking about a lot of things that hit on why ego is so bad. What kind of action or actionable items do we find in the book that you think can help somebody who maybe does struggle with some ego things to help them? You know, what, what steps can they start taking? I think the big one that- talked about I, being humble, for sure. Of course, we talked about being humble, but I think the big one that I liked a lot is always be a student. And I think we kind of already touched on that, but you should always want find find someone who's going to, you can learn from. because. When you do that, you can never feel like I know everything, especially and I'm going to come back to medicine because that's kind of the field we're in. But when you think you know everything in medicine, you're doing your patients a disservice, right? That's what I was told by various doctors. You should hang up your coat, put your shoes away, and you should walk away from medicine. And by being a student always, you're accepting that you're no better than anyone else, right? Because there's always a master. You're always learning from someone. And that master, I'm sure who you're learning from is learning from a master themselves. And I think that's a that's a good first step is find someone you can learn from. And it doesn't have to be something in your field. It's just something that you can say, hey, I want to learn a guitar. This person has been doing guitar for three years, four years. Can I learn from you? That's going to start shifting that perspective of 
of not feeling you're on top of everything. And that's going to kind of just bring you back down to baseline. Right. And that's, that's something you can carry over, like you said, into anything. You know, I, one thing I like, speaking of being like really specialized in your field, I think one thing that was said in the book was it was a quote from someone talking to Benjamin Franklin, who told him abhor flatterers as you would deceivers. Right. And it, it, it's really hard because you may become super specialized in something like, for example, we're almost done with medical school and we'll go into two different fields, but I'm sure you've had it too. a number of people, very nice of them, but they say, oh my goodness, you're so smart. I could never do medical school. Right. And I know how much I don't, well, I don't even know how much I don't know, but I <laughs> know very well that there are a lot of things that I don't know. And mm -hmm. the great, great example my fiance works in tech. And one day she was trying to explain something as simple to me as the internet uh, went totally over my head. I don't know how the internet works. I click things and it happens for me. Like she talked, she was talking about back doors in the internet. I don't know what that means. Right. Are there keys? How do you open doors? How do you open the back doors? Why isn't there a front? Like, I don't know any of that. And so I, I think that when you, like you were saying, you can be confident in your skills in a specific, specific field. But you shouldn't equate that to, because I'm so specialized here, now I know everything about everything. And I am the master of all fields because I'm really, you know, focused in this one field. And it's okay to recognize that other people know, they definitely know more about your current field, right? That's why you seek out mentorship. But you have to be able to accept that other people know so much more than you about so many other things. Otherwise, you will, like I said before, you'll just continue to isolate yourself from those around you. I agree. And I think uh, you said it very well. And I think he talks about that in the book, too, where be a student, because when you like you just said, when you think you're so specialized in one field and you think you know everything, that's that ego. And I love that you you brought that up specifically. I kind of want to shift gears and talk about he talks about pride and how pride and ego ego are very similar. And I was curious on your thoughts with pride and personally or anything from the book that you want to discuss i think pride you know if you're if you're inherently talented in certain areas or you have proclivities towards succeeding in certain areas you're going to start to have some pride and some ego creep in i think that as you realize that you can and frequently will do wrong even in areas where you're specialized mm -hmm. I think you can really help yourself, but also you'll bring people. You can tell how much I talk about people, how gregarious I am, that I constantly want to have people around me. But one thing I was thinking about listening to this book, and especially in the topic of pride, there is something so welcoming and inviting to other people when you are self-aware. Mm -hmm. You can know very much that you are strong in certain areas, but you can know where you're going to fail. And... I think ego and pride are what nurture and grow the insecurities that we have. And so one thing that I think has been helpful, and I've, I've shared this with a few other people, is having a sense of humor in a self-deprecating way. And you, know, you don't want to destroy yourself. The great examples from that Office episode where Michael Scott falls into a pond and everyone's making fun of him for it, how dumb he is, he falls into the pond. And it's when he finally shifts to talk to his employees and say, you know what? How did I fall into a pond? Do you walk much? Man, how did I do that? That's mm -hmm. when people start to turn because they realize that he has this level of acceptance, that he's fallible. 
right? That he can make mistakes, that he'll own them and that he can move on. That's when people start to come to his side and say, you know what? kind of dumb to have a pond in an office space right and of course the joke is that then he takes it too far and then he starts to belittle himself and castrate himself verbally in front of his employees but if you're somebody who for example is klutzy maybe you drop things and you ask your friend hey do you have something i could carry for you that's really fragile right that's you that's you acknowledging that you know what i know that i make mistakes i know that i make mistakes in this area too and that that self-deprecating humor can be so charming and can just obliterate the pride from your life. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I have a head that's larger than most. Hats just don't <laughs> very well. And I'm usually one of the first people in the room to make a joke about that. And to show, you know, I'm self-aware. I think it's funny. I can laugh at myself. But I think have, maintaining humor, being able to sense humor about your own failings, mm-hmm. one, it's charming. It invites people around you. But it's just a way to pop that balloon of ego so that it never gets too big. Yeah. And I think he talks about being humble and being humble and being a way to, to tell if someone is humble is if they observe and if they listen. And like when you really watch somebody, if they're really listening to you, if they're really observing you and watching your mannerisms and, and how you're saying things and what you're saying and being engaged with you, that's someone who's humble and not very prideful and very egotistical because they want to hear what you have to say. They want to, they want to soak in your knowledge. And I think that was another key to kind of battling that ego is open up your mind. Again, it kind of goes back to being a student. Open up your mind and be willing to listen and just actually listen to what someone's saying to you. Definitely. Kind of want to talk also about passion. He talks about how passion can can drive the ego. When you're so passionate about something, you kind of like come up with all these ideas and then you say you're going to look up X, Y, Z, but then you never do the work. And I was curious if you've had any experiences with dealing with something that you're so passionate about that you never got under the, off the ground to get going. Oh, probably several things. I, you know, I wanted, I wanted to do a podcast for a while. I wanted to do X, Y, Z things with my fitness or my diet or my finances. I, I think that I can operate in this area. I don't think I'm fully manic, but I can be in an area of submania where I'm just captured by an idea and I will just go down the rabbit hole, writing down all these things. Okay, I can do this, this, this. Here are all these branches, what I can do. And here's what this will mean and that'll mean. And it'll just consume me for a little bit. And then once that that fever dream kind of runs out of gas, often that's where it ends for me. And it's sad. I feel like if I had put the time in and you know taken that that sketch or whatever it was where I was caught hold by an idea, and then started doing the little things, making a plan about how to put that in place a little over time, then it would have gone. But plenty of things would have gone somewhere. Right? Maybe I have a competing podcast right now. I don't know. Or I could be living in not a basement. <laughs> plenty of things could have happened. But yeah, that's something I'm definitely subjected to. Or I'm definitely weak. That's definitely a weakness of mine, I'll say. Yeah, and he goes on about the, uh, the passion paradox, where you're so busy worrying about what you got to do or making all these plans and getting all these things in a row that you never really accomplish anything. And it's better to be purposeful and have a purpose than passion, because then you have the reasoning behind what you're going to do to get those steps and get your foot off the ground to get going. So I like that he talks about that as well. So he goes down and talks about ego and he talks about how it's chasing short term attention or validation, or these ideas that kind of stem from chatter and talking to inflate that ego. And He's, he talks about fake it till you make it. And he calls that like straight bullshit because you actually have to do the work. 
And I was curious on your thoughts on faking it till you make it. I'm someone who doesn't really believe in faking it till you make it. I understand that there are things that happen in life where you got to kind of put on a show, but you can't discredit work. And sometimes faking it till you make it is kind of putting on that suit or having that car or posting that picture on Instagram. And I was curious on your thoughts. I don't know if it's necessarily faking it. I think you do have to take leaps in life and you can, you can acknowledge exactly your station and where you're at, but still have the determination to try something new. Maybe that could be faking it, or maybe you're scared to do something and you need to pretend to be brave. But I don't think that, like I said, as long as you're acknowledging where you're at, your training and kind of what you're capable of, I, I don't think that's necessarily a problem of ego. I, so for example, I'm doing an anesthesia rotation right now. I have never intubated a live patient. And for those who don't know what that means, that means putting a breathing tube in someone's mouth down into their trachea <clears throat> so that they can breathe during an operation where they're sedated and paralyzed. And I'd never done that. And the anesthesiologist that I was working with asked me, oh, do you want to intubate this patient? Have you intubated before? Faking it till you make it would be, oh, I've done this a ton of times. Yeah. Right. I can do and you know, that's not what I did. I told him, I've never done this on a live patient. I'd love to though. Can I? You know, I, I need some guidance, but yeah, let's do it. And, you know, I was terrified. I don't want to injure or hurt somebody, but maybe that confidence where I wasn't super confident was the faking part of it. I don't right. think so, because I was very honest about where I was at. And I, I asked him for some help and he guided me. I was able to intubate for the first time. It was great. But maybe, let's see, an example where I did try and fake it in life is one of the pivotal foundational moments in our friendship. <laughs> when I, we were talking with a group of people, right, about the different workout plans that we were all sticking to. And I was definitely not sticking to a consistent workout plan. And so it came to me and I said a few things and you rolled up my sleeve in front of a bunch of people, wrapped your entire fit or arm, your, sorry, excuse me, wrapped your entire hand around my arm, my upper arm and asked me, are you sure you're working out? Like that was faking it. And I did not make it and I was called on it. So I don't yeah, know. I, I'm not trying to tease out between those two. Yeah. And I think that, that that specific specific moment is just me as a person i don't mind kind of especially i knew you and i'm not really afraid of kind of calling people out um in my own little way because i was like playing with you joking with you but i'm glad that we did obviously our relationship has grown really really good because of that but i think i think what's very important and you kind of touched on this is being able to say i don't know too many people want to fake it till they make it to show that they have this to show that they know this again to say they know everything right? But being able to say, I don't know, is really accepting and allowing you to learn, to learn from that person above you. And that person who's teaching you is going to respect that more than you faking it till you make it and they find out that you're a bullshitter. So I think being able to use that I don't know, or I am willing to learn is very key in your growth, as well as battling ego. Right. And I've had a number of physicians, you know, speaking of our training, right? They ask you questions, they check your knowledge and ask if you'll go do something or can you do something? And, you know, changing your mindset. And, and like I said, you don't want to lie because lying will get you in a whole world of trouble. But having your answer be, I don't know, I'll go look it up right now or I'll look it up tomorrow. I don't know how to do that. I would love to try today. Do you have time to teach me how? Like having that determination, that showing that willingness to learn, what I found is a lot of people, 
most people, I think I can say this confidently, love to talk about themselves and they love to share things from their field of knowledge. Right. It could be your grandma teaching you how to sew or how to knit. It could be your your boss or your superior a physician attending teaching you how to intubate a patient. People love to teach and help people learn and grow for the most part, right? There are some people who just hate that and hate interpersonal interaction. And so appealing to the better angels of someone's spirit of their nature with humility and asking for help, education, you know, helping somebody demonstrate the knowledge that they've worked hard to get. It, one, it helps somebody else grow. I think what he, what, what's his name? Ryan, is that who? Yep. But yeah. So what he writes about in the book is having a canvas for somebody else to paint on, right? You're the, some concepts in like, for example, the 48 laws of power will say that you need to basically never get in the way of your boss or never overshadow your boss. But if the people around you, your superiors, especially, you can create space for them to be successful as part of your job. I mean, that just will open so many doors for you. And it, it's not really a selfish thing to do that, to help other people grow so that you can grow as well. Right. And the ego is going to be like, I'm beneath that. Why should I do that? I have this degree. I went to school this many years. I have this person as my family. I have X, Y, and Z. Why should I do that for someone else? But again, that's your ego, right? That person, you're creating that space for them to succeed is allowing you to learn from them how they're succeeding. Or it's allowing you to kind of have this person say, wow, this person is willing to do the dirty work, the work that people don't want to do. I'm going to invest more time in this person. I'm going to put and more time in that. Yeah, yeah, you know, yes, they're good at it. And they're going to invest more time into you to be successful. And sometimes you got to find those mentors or those people that kind of, it's weird, you'll find this person and, and you can talk about nepotism or whatever, but you find this person who kind of makes that shift in your life. And that may be that point of you doing the dirty work and going a little bit extra mile for someone, even though you think you're beneath it to help you succeed or propel you to that next level so you can learn from the next person above them. But again, if your ego gets in the way, you're going to think you're better than doing any of that work and you're not going to succeed. Kind of want to talk about ego and leadership. He talks about, you know, delegation. And we kind of talked about this last, last episode. The ego kind of wants you to control everything. You know, you're a micromanager. You don't want to, you don't want to let anyone control anything because it has to be your way or the highway. And I think he talks about it. If you struggle to manage yourself, you're going to struggle to manage everyone else and manage everyone else below you or around you or within your team. And I thought that was such a great thing because when you're so enveloped with the power, you can't let other people do their job to maybe put you above whatever status or position you're at. It's just, it's just crazy. You need to know where your skill sets are and be able to kind of, like you said last week and the, in, in the other stuff was to delegate so that you can all succeed. And I love that he touched on that and, and being able to manage yourself so you can manage others. Well, that's how you can create a culture. I, you know, I've never had a salary. I've never worked <laughs> like a big kid job, let's say, or my, my first adult job. I haven't gotten that yet. And I have heard, you know, just through friends, family, all these companies, people work out that, that want to have a culture and let's establish a culture. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think you mentioned Jocko. I think Andy Frazella, a great example of people who they live the culture and they emulate the culture that they want to have in their company. And I was talking with a, a close friend the other day about how impressed I was from Andy Frazella and running his company first form 
talking about how he went into their first form restroom facilities, saw dribbles of urine on the seat, and he came out and screamed at his employees, how can you be so just unfocused? How can you let something like this? Do you not take pride in where you work? Do you not realize where our company values are? And the friend I was telling said, oh, I would quit that job immediately. That guy sounds like a jerk. But she doesn't understand. And what they didn't understand was this was a person who lives the, what they, what you were just saying. They emulate the culture they want to see around them. They have managed themselves to a point where they can expect and demand that from other people. Because if they're going to clean up their, like their own public restroom, they should expect their employees to do so as well. If they're going to hold the door open for a customer, their employees should do it as well. That's that type of humility and control over yourself that allows you to create a culture like that around you, especially when you're a leader, because you will never be able to demand something of your the team that you lead if you don't do it yourself. Right. And he kind of talks about the leader of American Apparel that he worked for. The ego got to his head. He demanded this, this and that. Then he was kind of like being conniving and no one really cared about the company. You know, the, the the board members at the end were like, we need to get him out. But they all kind of let him do what he wanted because he was the one who was in charge. And his ego was so big that they didn't want to challenge him. And the, the company basically went bankrupt. And it's just crazy that you brought up Andy and kind of Jocko and these people that kind of carry themselves a certain way so that their companies or their employees within the company carry themselves that way so that the company, company can be successful. And I think, I think the key to that is leading by example, right? How you do one thing is how you do everything. And if you're doing it a one way, everything, your employees are everything, your company is everything, they're going to do it that way as well. Well, imagine that you have a self-inflated ego that you have, like you were saying, micromanage, you have to do everything, everything has to have your direct supervision. You are cutting yourself off from so many opportunities for, like example, you're the head of this major company or project. And you have an idea as a leader, we need to go this direction, but it involves a really well orchestrated marketing campaign, but you don't know how to graphic design. Mm -hmm. If you're thinking I need to do all this, you're probably going to make a terrible design. It's not going to be a great ad and it's not going to go well. But if you have, if you don't have that ego in your way, then you can go to somebody, your graphic designer on the team and say, I have this project idea. Here's kind of what I want it to look like you have all the skill in this area and all the knowledge. Why don't you run with this? Come back to me, show me what you've got, and then we can work on it from there. One, you are now going to have a much better product in the mm -hmm. end. The goal is to have, in this example, a, an ad or a really well-done little campaign. But two, the trust that an employee feels and that I have felt, for example, being somebody who superiors come to and say, I'm trusting you with this, go work on it, come back to me. I mean, I, I want to do a good job. I've been trusted by something big. I have so a certain amount of autonomy within this that I can demonstrate and showcase my skills. And then I can go back and present it and show that I have value here, that I have talent that's worth paying and worth supporting. I'm a valuable member of the team. So if you have ego blinding you, you won't ever have interactions like that. And you're talking about like a, a, a an employer or a boss or some head of a company coming to you for that project. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about, the canvas strategy and kind of made, making space for that individual to succeed. If you never kind of did the grunt work and did the dirty work without them asking or asking for the dirty work that you can do, why would they trust you to come and do a job, right? If you're that someone who's new to it and you're like, hey, I can do graphic designing, why should they trust you if you've never put your, your, your foot out there, your neck on the line to do the hard stuff, right? So that's another, I think that can, that's two things that can kind of capitalize off of each other.
Well, I think that there are a number of examples, historical, scriptural, that you will see of people who are asking for help or asking for direction, and all they're given to do is a very small, simple thing. Mm -hmm. And they won't do it. It's too easy. It's too simple. No, I should be asked to do something huge, something monumental. Mm -hmm. And so they won't. Mm -hmm. And they, they miss out on all these opportunities and they miss out on, you know, I'm trying to, there are so many examples running through my head. Here's a great pop culture one. Karate kid, Mr. Miyagi, right? He wants to learn from this master of karate, how to defend himself, how to be successful and maybe compete in this tournament. And the guy asked him to wax his car. Mm -hmm. he, doesn't, mm -hmm. he doesn't want to do it. If he had said, oh, go run 100 miles and then come back to me, like that's a huge thing. Oh, yeah, I can do that. Makes sense. But he didn't want to do the small thing. And eventually he, you know, let his ego subside and he was able to do the small thing. And then he saw how the small thing played a part in that training. He didn't have the vision to see how the small, simple things done consistently over time would get him to his end goal. But he had to be humble enough to accept that direction from a superior. Right. And he kind of was like, why? We're supposed to be karate masters. Like, I'm supposed to learn this. That's his ego. But you kind of touched on before you got into that, that kind of example was presenting opportunities. And I believe that opportunities, opportunities just don't kind of fall into your lap, you create the opportunities. And by doing those little jobs, and by doing the things that are difficult, and by doing the, the shitty jobs, those opportunities are going to present itself. Like if you want to use the Karate Kid and Mr. Miyagi, teaches him how to wax his car, but then he has the opportunity to learn how to defend himself, right? That opportunity presents itself like, wow, I know how to actually throw a block. I actually know how to defend myself. That opportunity would have presented itself if he didn't actually do the deed. And I think so many people are like, oh, I'm waiting for this like next big break. I'm waiting for this next big thing to come to my life and, 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 and just kind of give me, give me a chance. All you got to do is got out there and get started. And I promise you, if you keep going and doing things, some opportunity is going to be there. But it's not just that it fell in your lap. You were doing things actively that kind of steered you to that opportunity. Got to do the small, simple things. Yeah. And I'm reading another book of holidays right now. It's um, Discipline is Destiny. And he talks about that. It's like he talks about, you know, I think it was the great, I can't remember his name, but he was a coach for uh, the UCLA basketball team back in the day and he coached Kareem Abdul-Jabbar say again John Wooden yeah and he's like exactly and he's like hey I'm going to teach you guys how to lace up your shoes put on your socks put on your socks and lace up your shoes properly so that you won't get blisters you won't roll your ankles you make sure you're, you're you know you when you go up you land properly you won't hurt your ankles and your knees and that's just kind of doing the small things that present that that allow for those opportunities to occur because if you didn't do it properly do the small things you know maybe you would have that injury which would prevent you from being on this on the on the court to maybe make a game-changing play or win a playoff game or win a, a championship in college the final four so but you know it's doing the little things to present those opportunities for yourself and his team year after year had to have had to pretty much erase their ego because they all went through that year after Every year year for them to be as successful as they did and to listen to a coach who knew more than them, even though they didn't really see how I know Bill Walton went to John Wooden one time and Bill had a beard and had really long hair. And John Wooden, you know, coach said on Bill on my team, we, you know, we have clean cut, clean shaven. That's, that's how it is on this mm -hmm. team. And Bill Walton, you know, has, he's a 
huge ego at this point. They're a championship team. And he tells the whole coach, I, uh, not going to do that. You know, just, just living in his ego, loving it, soaking it all up. And John Wooden told him, okay, well, on this team, we're clean cut and clean shaven. So the door's over there. You don't want the team anymore. Yep. And that kind of, we're, we're going to talk about this real quick, because I want to go into the last topic. But that talks about the standard, the standard of how you do things. And he kind of talks about Bill Walsh in the book, the, the great 49ers coach who won all those Super Bowls, is he had a standard of how he did everything, right? You know, he... He took over a team that was two and 14, two years in a row, he went two and 14. He kept sticking with those standards of how we're going to do things to down to the minute and then it being a super, uh, multiple Super Bowl champions. And again, I think it comes down to you. You can put this in your own life. It's not just the standard of how you're going to do sports or whatever. You should have standards for yourself that are high enough and you stick to them to help you succeed. It's when you kind of play around you don't have standards is where your ego is going to inflate anyway so i love that you kind of talked about that and then he has also bill walsh's story in in the book as well to talk about standards i and i think that ego is going to constantly force you or encourage you or entice you tempt you to break that standard right. to not meet that standard if you think of it as a line and i love this concept of the line when you're looking at how to do things in your life activities you're going to pursue, interactions with your peers, different things, they're inherently, you can intuit that there's an above the line action, something good that mm -hmm. will make you better as a person. And then there are below the line actions, right? There are nasty things that you can say, there are things you can do to get in people's way and trip them up and make obstacles and make other people's lives difficult. And I think what I really took away from this book was that you can in, you can intuitively just figure out, okay, what's the above the line action to do here? The way that keeps me being a good person, the way that keeps my ego at bay and that doesn't let me fall victim to it, but what's my above the line action so I can stay above the line and doing good things that bring good things for me and then for other people. And that's funny because that was the last topic I wanted to talk about was drawing the line, right? And it's kind of in a different sense, but he talks about drawing the line of, when to say no. And I think this is something that I have with my own ego is I could take on everything, right? I throw it at me, throw it on my plate, I could do it. But you got to be able to say no, because when, when is enough, right? When is when, when is it enough? I, I kind of asked myself that uh, quite a bit It's like, okay, take it on enough. No, learn to say no. That if you keep doing that, you're going to end up failing. And then when you fail, you're going to be like, Oh my gosh, why did, why did I fail? Like, look at all the stuff I've done. Like, I shouldn't be failing. And that's the ego. And I think he talks about, he says that he's like, he who will do anything to avoid failure will absolutely do something worth of failure, something that's going to lead to failure. So I think finding where your line is to say no is very important and challenging the ego. And I think that's something that I've, I've taken from this book personally. Um, just draw that line. There are some horses that will train and train, and you can run these horses until their heart fails. Yeah. They will keep going and keep going, and there's there's no inhibition there. And so I think there's a huge maybe culture surrounding this or a huge movement on social media and different podcasts to go, go, go. Are you crushing it today? Are you living every moment to the maximum, not wasting a single thing? Right. It, it, if 
it's not bad to to do good things and to not be lazy right but you do need to like you were saying allow yourself some grace and find your line find your limits make sure you know we've been through a bunch of residency interviews find those things that a lot of people ask about this help you stay grounded right how are you going to avoid burnout how are you going to not succumb to the demands of the life around you how are you going to deal with stress we did a whole podcast on that mm-hmm. And like you were saying, ego is going to prevent you from ever considering that, ever considering that there is a line that needs to be drawn because you can do it all. Right. And like you were saying, it's just, it's not sustainable. You have Mm -hmm. to find your line and you have to make sure that you keep a sustainable trajectory and don't think you can do it all. And I think a good example of this for me was during second year when um, I've been really good at this, like the last, probably since second year, but second year of med school, you know, felt like I was kind of slacking on my my duties as a husband and a father. And what I did was took off every Saturday, didn't study whatsoever. And that just really balanced out my time with my family, gave me time to relax and be a father, be a husband. And I knew that what I did and not was enough. The six other days I studied was enough. I don't have to pile another full day of studying. What difference is that going to make? It didn't. It didn't make any difference on my test at, at, during school. So I, I was able to realize that enough's enough. I was able to draw the line and say, hey, I'm going to be a father, I'm going to be a husband. And here's where I'm drawing that line. And it was beneficial for my relationship with my wife and my kids. So and that's the most important thing to me anyway. So and that only happened after you checked your ego at the door. Yep. And I, I'm, I'm happy that I got to go through this book again. I'm glad that you read it and you enjoyed it. I was curious if there's any final thoughts that you have before we sign off. No, stay humble. I like Keep that. After it. The, it seemed like everything in this book, all these people had so many tragedies were because they couldn't just do that. They got too self-inflated. They thought they were too insecure. They, they just couldn't maintain a humble view of themselves and a, an earnest, curious view of the world around them. And that's why they ended up failing. And those who had success, they were able to do those very things. Yeah, they were they felt the rise of success and were able to shift and be humble and always be a student. So I'm glad that you added that. With that being said, we'll see you on the next one. See you later.